conditions because it was about 110 heat index every night this past week. But um, I do want to talk about VBS really quickly. Um, if you see a slight um, amber glow to my hair, um, that's, that means the kids raised all the money that they were supposed to raise for VBS, and so they got to pick what color my hair got dyed. And uh, so it's got a pink glow to it. So if you're wondering, if it's not your eyes, okay, it's, it's in there. So, um, but we had a great week at VBS. Every night we had about 80 people on campus, uh, Monday, uh, Sunday through Wednesday. The kids raised $660 for Camp Rockridge to help with repairs there. So everybody, yeah, we're very thankful. And we had the chance to have a lot of conversations with kids that are uh, maybe not in church and live in the area. So we're very thankful for that the Lord, all that the Lord did last week. Um, I just want to make a few quick announcements as we get ready. Tomorrow morning we will leave and head to Laguna Beach with 27 students and six, seven adults. So uh, please, please be in prayer for our, our week at the beach. Um, that the Lord would continue to work in that way. Um, tonight, I will be drawing for the Big Green Egg. So if you get a phone call from me at about 7 o'clock tonight, congratulations. If you don't, thank you for uh, giving. So, <laughs> um, But we, I, I will do that drawing um, this evening. And uh, other than that, I think that's all the announcements that I really have, which you're all very thankful because usually I'm up here for a lot longer. So... Um, but I just I want to once again thank everybody who helped with VBS, who donated money, who donated materials, who came and helped set everything up. Um, it really does take a whole church to pull something like that off. And so we're so thankful for our church and just the love that you guys show our kids um, on a weekly basis, but especially weeks like that. So as a call to worship time, what we're going to do is we're going to show a short little 90-second video that we put together of, uh, of some of the stuff that happened at VBS this week. And then after that, we'll sing together.
Good morning. If you want to stand, we're going to worship together. I don't know if you realize the words of that song, but this uh, week at VBS, it was, we are created, designed, and empowered by Christ Jesus. And it was uh, Ephesians 2.10. That's pretty much the exact words that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he's prepared ahead of time for us to do. Um, so it really was a great week. Um, we're going to focus our hearts in this morning on Father's Day by beginning with glorify thy name. Great is thy faithfulness.
Amen. Hey, this morning we have the opportunity to bless a couple of families with encouragement and prayer. So as we lead into our child dedication this morning on Father's Day, I'd like for us all to listen first to Psalm 127, and then I'll call the two families up who are going to participate this morning. Happy Father's Day, by the way. Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors. For he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They shall not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Thanks be to God for the reading of his word. So this morning, I'd like to ask Bryson if he would come back up with his wife, Brooke, and Charlie. Y'all, this is Charlie Isaiah Shoemake. In case you didn't know, he had a wonderful middle name. Charlie was born July the 24th, 2020. And so we love Charlie and Brooke and Bryson and grateful that they are a part of our church family. Now if Heather and JJ Johnson would come forward with Nia Hope. Nia Hope was born April the 9th, 2019. So with COVID, we haven't done this in a bit. So these are two of our newest additions in our church family. Uh, is Ian, I, I want to say something that, Ian, come on up too, buddy. You're part of this. So Ian said something very cool during Bible school. He said, you know, my sister's name has the same letters as mine. You just got to mix them up a little bit. So... Ian's had a great week at Bible school, and we love him too. So this is something that not only are they going to participate in, but all of us as a church family are participating in this moment. So I'm going to read through uh, this service, this dedication. There's going to be a response from the parents, and then there's also going to be a response from our church. So according to Psalm 127, the child you hold is a gift from your heavenly Father. Before the thought of a little boy or girl entered your mind, the Lord had already determined when and where your child will be born and that you would be parents. This is therefore an acknowledgement and an occasion to reflect on God's goodness. Parents, what is your response to the gift of God? Here it is. Amen. You are blessed. Scripture commands you to teach your children about the Lord Jesus Christ, bringing your child up in the nurture and training of the Lord. Only then will they fulfill God's ordained purpose for their life and be adequately equipped for the challenges of this life and prepared to meet God in eternity to come. It is the modeling of your life and words of your mouth which the Holy Spirit will use most to teach them about the message of God's saving love. The birth of your children should inspire within you and us a greater resolve toward personal discipleship. 
Parents, what is your response? Amen. Now for the church body, the family of God. We are all a part of God's family, God's household, God's building. We are the body of Christ. We are not spectators, we are participants. Fellow workers loving each other, supporting each other, encouraging each other, holding each other accountable, of which Vacation Bible School was a great example of all of this. For the sake of Christ and the growth of these children, will you, church family, now acknowledge both their commitment and gratitude and also our willingness to help these parents fulfill their promises to God and each other. Church, what is our response? We are witnesses. Amen. Thanks be to God. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give to Nia and her family a certificate of dedication. And also to Charlie. I got something for you, Charlie. Here you go. Amen. All right. So here's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to close with a time of prayer for all of us. And parents, y'all can go ahead and be seated. But I want you to stay in here for the, for the prayer. Now's the time when all of us can pray and, and call upon God and, and intercede on, on their behalf. Joe and Judy are going to play something that's going to be familiar to us. But let's just bow our heads and pray to God, all of us, praying for not only these families, but all of our families. Let's lift them up and encourage them through this special time of prayer. And then when they finish playing, that will be closed, and Catherine will come again and lead us.
let's stand and sing how deep the Father's love together. so much for just allowing us to come into your house and gather as a family today and worship God. Lord, thank you for the beautiful baby dedication we had and, and just the lives of Charlie and Nia that we just get to celebrate and all be part of, um, God. Lord, may we be a church that raises them in the way they should go, God. 
But Lord, seeing our, our babies being dedicated, may we also be reminded that we're to have a childlike faith, God, and that we never outgrow needing to talk to our Father, God, and needing your guidance over our life, God. And Lord, this morning as we celebrate the um, earthly fathers you've gifted us with, God, Lord, I thank you for each man in this building, God, who is just raising their families in Christ, God. And, and Lord, there's so many men in this building who have been fathers to um, so many in this church who, who may not have dads who come to church or um, may not have dads in their life, God. Lord, may we continue to be a congregation that fathers our children, Lord. God, I pray that you bless our fathers today, God. Lord, I pray a special blessing over them. And I just pray that you um, strengthen and guide them, God, um, to be the leaders of our families, God. Lord, as we just prepare to dive back into Luke, I pray that your word speaks clear, clearly to each one of us, God. Lord, may your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light into our path, God. May we hide its words this morning as um, Pastor Neil comes in and shares with us. We just love you and praise you and thank you, and we give you all honor and glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Children are dismissed to go to Children's Church with Sarah Beth in the back. Amen. As the children leave, please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18, Luke's Gospel. As we go verse by verse through the good news from Luke. As Catherine mentioned, the kingdom of God is a gift that we must receive like a child, with childlike faith. We saw last week Christ calling the children to himself and saying, permit them to come to me. And do not hinder them. Then we met a certain rich young ruler who went away sad because he loved his stuff too much. His money was his idol and he was not willing to part with that to leave everything and follow Christ. Peter hears what Jesus says. He hears the interaction and we're going to pick up this morning with verse 28, Luke 18, 28. First few verses are context to get to 31 through 43, which has within it the text that we're going to expound this morning. But we do need the context because something Jesus does here uh, is in line with what Peter declares in verse 28. So let's pick up with verse 28. So Peter said to Jesus, Behold, we have left our own homes and followed you. Look at this, Jesus. Behold. He's drawing attention to it. We've left our own homes and followed you. And Jesus says to them all, Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or wife or Brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times as much in this life at this time and to top it all off in the age to come, eternal life. The reason I read those first few verses, look what happens in verse 31. It's as if Jesus huddles up the disciples and calls a timeout. All right, guys, we, we got to go over something again. And this is the third time in Luke's gospel that Jesus has gone over this with them 
And for the third time, they still don't really get it. So he takes the twelve aside in verse 31, which I think is a very gracious move because he could have said some very strong things when Peter asked, or Peter said, we've left everything to follow you, Jesus. Jesus at that point could have been stern and harsh with some corrective statements, but instead, look at verse 31, he takes them aside. Privately, intimately. And then he says to them, Behold. He uses the same word that Peter used when Peter wanted to draw attention to the fact that, Behold, Jesus, we've left our own homes to follow you. Jesus, Jesus huddles them off to the side and Jesus says, Behold. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. Notice how specific he gets. He will be delivered to the Gentiles. He will be mocked. He will be mistreated. And he will be spit upon. Then after that, they will scourge him. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him. Murder. They will kill him. And the third day, he will rise again. Well, that's the gospel, right? That's the heart of the gospel. But look at verse 34. So, they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not comprehend the things that were said. Now Luke overstates the fact that these guys, they don't get it. And there's multiple reasons in play here as to why they don't get it. So then he continues on, verse 35. So it came about that as he was approaching Jericho, here we are on the Jericho road, a certain blind man was sitting by the road begging. And hearing a multitude going by, he began to inquire what this might be. What's going on? What's up? And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he called out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way were sternly telling him, be quiet. That sounds a lot like the disciples earlier in Luke 18 when the children were coming to Jesus and they said, you kids get back. You children stay quiet. This blind beggar, like a child, just will not hush. <laughs> he keeps crying out. So it says in verse 39, he kept crying out all the more. He only increased his volume and his persistence. Son of David, have mercy on me. Look at verse 40. Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. God's attention was grasped. 
The Bible tells us that the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the, the earth, looking for someone whose heart he might strongly support. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the earth, looking for someone whose heart is completely his that he might strongly support. I think that's what we have here. Verse 40, Jesus stopped, he commanded that the blind beggar be brought to him, and when he had come near, he questioned him. Verse 41, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I want to regain my sight. Lord, I want to regain my sight. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well or made you whole or saved you. That word can mean all those things. And so immediately he regained his sight. He began following Jesus, glorifying God. And when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. When all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to open our hearts and our minds and our eyes to be able to know you, love you, sing to you, praise you. You are our Heavenly Father, our Abba. And you have sent Christ not only so that we might be forgiven, but so that we might know you and worship you and glorify you and follow the steps of Jesus with the life we have left here on earth. What a gift of gathering this morning, dedicating children, celebrating Bible school, anticipating all that is ahead. But in this moment, may each of us find our place humble and attentive and worshipful toward you and your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I think what Jesus does in verse 31 with his disciples is something that all of us need and all of us regularly need helpful and necessary reminders. Helpful and necessary reminders. In fact, I think that's what we have from Christ in verse 31. A helpful and necessary reminder. Do this in remembrance of me. Because by nature we are forgetful. By nature we are curved in on ourselves. By nature we tend to think like Peter was thinking. Now I don't know if Peter makes this statement because he had doubt. I don't know if he makes this statement because he wanted to boast. I don't know if he makes this statement because he began to feel sorry for himself and all that he had given up and all that he was doing for Jesus. But whether it was from doubt or whether it was from selfishness, or whether it was from boastfulness, or resentfulness, he needed correcting. He needed reminding. And so we have in verse 31, and I think throughout this passage, here's how I want to organize the message this morning. Forgive me again for alliteration. <laughs> but we have this morning the mission the means and the motive. The mission, the means, and the motive. You and I, as followers of Christ, need to be re regularly reminded of what his mission was and is. We need to be reminded of the means by which the mission is fulfilled. And we certainly need to be reminded of the motive behind the mission itself and, and, and all that God is doing in and through us. So, first, the mission. I think what he does in verse 31, he just reminds them of the mission. 
Jesus, where are we going? It's a question they may not have verbalized, but based on what Peter says, they're wondering. When are we going to get there? Right, parents? Where are we going? Someone once described the Christian life like this. Eugene Peterson said, It is a long obedience in the same direction. It's a journey, a long journey. And we've got to be reminded of what the journey entails and the destiny at the end of the journey. This week I got a call from Russ Massa, a high school friend of mine, and some of you know Russ. He is currently hiking the Appalachian Trail, and he's about halfway done. And he's posting daily videos and daily updates, and I confess to Russ, Russ, I'm way behind, man. I've only watched like two of these things. And how's he calling me anyway from the middle of nowhere on the Appalachian Trail? So he had a question for me, and I gave him a confession. Russ, I hadn't been keeping up like I should. So I went back, as promised, and watched a couple of his latest uh, updates. And in one of the latest updates, he was at the halfway point, and someone had put a sign of the destination in Maine at the end of the trail. What do you call that? Katahdin? Mount Katahdin? Am I saying that right? Don't correct me. You don't know either, right? Man, these guys, every step of the way, have in mind what? It is a long journey. What, what do they need to remind themselves of? What is it going to be like when we reach the summit, when we reach the destiny? What does this involve? What does it entail? I need to know where we are headed. Jesus, in verse 31, tells them, again, clearly, where he is headed. Where is he headed? What's very interesting is he knows all of this in advance. There's nothing left to chance. Jesus is not winging it. God is sovereign. God is in control. No one takes his life from him. He lays it down of his own accord. This was the sovereign, detailed unfolding of the mission of Christ and you and I have it here clearly in 31, 32, and 33. And if you're like me, and I'm like Peter, sometimes I'm doubtful. Sometimes I'm resentful. Sometimes I'm boastful. And the Lord needs to call a timeout and sit down and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with me. And he needs to tell me, Neil, do you realize what I've done for you? Do you see the mission? Look at verse 31 again. What was in Jerusalem? The cross. What was in Jerusalem? Sacrifice. What was in Jerusalem? Suffering. What was in Jerusalem? Mocking, scourging, spitting, beating to a degree that you and I know nothing about. And even beyond that, here was the Lamb of God taking upon himself the weight of the sin of the world and the punishment that you and I deserved, the, he is the Son of Man. It is going to be accomplished. Mission fulfilled from eternity past. This, this encourages me because it tells me that all along God was in total control. 
Yes, Jesus sacrificed. Yes, Jesus suffered. Yes, Jesus was spit upon. Yes, Jesus was mocked. I need never whine or complain or wonder. We've done nothing in comparison to this. Delivered up to the Gentiles of all people? Have you been mocked? Have you been mistreated? Have you been spit upon? It was part of the program not only for Jesus but for his followers. And the scourging that he took would have killed most any man. But then they did kill him. But look at verse 33. On the third day he will rise again. There's our hope. There's our victory. There's the good news. And we're going to go in a minute at the underlying reasons, the motives as to why this took place. But here's my point. You and I need to constantly remember the mission the Father sent the Son on. We need to work it back through our hearts and minds. That We need to keep it before us because does not His mission define our mission? Of course it does because He's told us, like He told the rich man who walked away sad, and like blind Bartimaeus is going to do in just a few moments, look, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If someone comes up to you and they say, they say to you, follow me, what's going to be your first question? Well, where are we going? <laughs> you expect me to follow you, where are you going? Jesus clearly says where he's going. Where is he going? He's going to the cross and he's going to the resurrection. Now, you and I tethered to Christ by faith, united to Christ by faith. His mission not only defines and details our mission, but it encourages and empowers our mission because we know you go through the cross, but what's on the other side? Glory, resurrection, heaven. He makes all things beautiful in his time. Now, they don't grasp all of this at the moment. And I may say something about that in, in, in a bit. But, but let's just remind ourselves constantly on this journey, step by step, what the mission of Christ was and is and what our mission was and is. His mission defines my mission his mission also empowers my mission. In this reminder is strength for today and hope for tomorrow. And it shows us great is thy faithfulness. God took what appeared to be the worst thing that had ever happened and turned it and transformed it and reversed it into the very best thing that has ever happened. So follow me, he says. What mission are you on? I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer and die. But on the third day, be raised from the dead. Now our brother, Mr. Howard Scarborough, is weekly teaching a divorce care ministry and he's included as pastor in the text updates he sends every week to the class. I think today was their last class. Is that right, Howard? Thank you for doing that ministry. Two weeks ago, he issued out this hypothetical proposal to the class. I thought it was pretty interesting, and I'll use it today. If you had to run 10 miles 
which by itself is, you know, exhausting just to think about. Would running 10 miles as a punishment be different or feel different from a 10-mile run to a train? You got to run 10 miles. 10 miles as punishment or 10 miles to catch a train? Would it feel different based on the perspective? I'm thinking, man, yeah, especially if that train went home, right? I got to catch the train. And where I'm going helps transform how I feel about what I'm doing. And C.S. Lewis said this, there are a thousand roads into the wilderness, but there's only one road home. There's a thousand roads into the wilderness, but there's only one road home. So am I going to endure? Am I going to persevere? Yes. And one of the ways you're going to do it is you're going to let his mission and his destiny affect your daily walk with him. And you're going to run and you're going to catch that train and you're going to follow Christ because he is the only way home. Right? That's what he's telling us in these verses. That's what he's telling his disciples. They don't understand yet, but following the resurrection, they will. So we must constantly remind ourselves of his journey, his mission, because that defines and empowers our journey and our mission, which is to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily and follow him. Jesus, where are we going? Well, there's suffering and there's the cross, but there's glory on the other side, and he will make all things beautiful in his time. You and I, by faith, are tethered and united to Christ and his mission. We're headed home. The second, I guess, section here, I think, begins with verse 35, where we find Jesus performing a miracle in the life of a blind man. Jesus performs a miracle in the life of a blind man. And, and, and what I really want to share from this is that not only does Jesus tell us where he's going and where we are going, but he tells us how we're going to get there. And I'm going to use the word means, probably because it starts with an M. <laughs> but you may have heard of the Ways and Means Committees. What do ways and means committees do? Somebody has a grand idea, well then somebody else in the room says, well how are we going to do it? What are the means by which this will be accomplished? And what we have in this miracle is a wonderful example and a wonderful contrast as he, he utilizes divine mercy, supernatural mercy to accomplish the mission. All that God has and all that God is, all his resources go toward the mission. And blind Bartimaeus, who I think this is, on the Jericho road, he sat and he demonstrates, or Jesus demonstrates in blind Bart's life the means by which the mission will be accomplished, and that is supernatural grace. Supernatural grace. So Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. He's told us where he's going. 
This blind man represents the, the disciples. What did Luke just tell us? They don't have a clue. Right now they're blinded by their doubt. Are they blinded by the devil himself? Has God intentionally hidden them from them these truths at the moment that he will surprise and reveal later? And I say to all of that, yes, even though we can't fully reconcile it or explain it. They are in blindness, just as the Pharisee earlier in Luke 8 was blinded by his self-righteousness and just like the rich young man was blinded by his materialism. We find a guy here on the road to Jericho, Jericho, he knows he's blind. He knows he's blind. He's not clueless about his blindness. So he hears this crowd. He hears this commotion. Well, he had obviously also heard of Jesus. Which tells us a little bit about Jesus and his witness and his popularity and what, what things are being said about Jesus. So I think Luke gives us here in the example of this poor blind beggar a contrast to the rich young ruler. And let me say, the beggar did not lack self-awareness. Because there's no denying the reality of his condition. In fact, he's painfully aware, as you and I would be, of what daily life in the dark must mean. The power went out in our house a couple of weeks ago just for maybe an hour. I wouldn't want to live that way. That was before the heat wave. And as happens every time when the power goes off, like someone who doesn't have a clue, I go over there and flip the switches up. <laughs> Did any of you do that? Just out of sheer habit. Why? Because I'm not used to living in the dark. Blind Bartimaeus was used to living in the dark. The rich young ruler had no idea he was living in the dark. So Revelation 3.17 says this, Because you say, I am rich and I become wealthy, I need nothing. Jesus said, you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And this poor beggar beside the road knows without a doubt because he feels it physically. See, sometimes we don't really get it until we feel it physically. We don't get what the pastors are talking about with the spiritual realm until it affects us in the realm that we do get and understand. That is the, the physical realm. I had a high school friend call me this week. I hadn't talked to him in years. He says, God's doing something in my life. He says, I was in the hospital and almost died with a heart attack. I realized I was doing some things that were wrong. I realized I needed the Lord. What happened, man? Oftentimes, God has to reach us in the physical dimension before we really grasp what he's talking about in the spiritual dimension. And I think that's why blind Bartimaeus got it. He knew that he was needy, that he was wretched, 
that he was miserable, that he was poor, blind, and naked. In fact, the other people knew it too because they said, get away, this is not, this is not for you. But what does he do? He keeps crying out for mercy. Well, he's like the tax collector earlier. Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. He's like the children and their childlike faith. What are children great at? They're great at asking. But we in our adult world have become proud and self-reliant and self-important. And so we say, as one of the great theologians from Country Music Pass, we say to ourselves, I ain't asking nobody for nothing if I can't get it on my own. If you don't like the way this country boy's living, just leave this long-haired country boy alone, all right? Some of you know who that is. Some of you don't know who that is. We'll leave it at that. He refuses to be the guy who's not going to ask for something because he knows the desperation of his need. So what does he do? He keeps crying out personally for the mercy of God. Now, I don't know where you are, and sometimes I don't even know where I am. But one thing we better be clear on, the only means by which you and I can be reconciled to God and the only means by which you and I can move from darkness to light in the areas that matter most, the only way is for you and I like children crying out to God, realizing that we too, apart from Christ, are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. This kind of heart and this kind of attitude grasp the attention of God and God moves with His supernatural, powerful grace. And listen, the rich young ruler said, Lord, what can I do? Blind Bartimaeus knew he couldn't do anything. And that's why Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? Different approach. The poor beggar knows he can't do anything but receive the kingdom by mercy and grace. And the good news is that is exactly what happens because with just a word, with just a word, Jesus says, receive your sight. Receive your sight. It's a gift. And this man opened his heart and his mind and his life by faith and received the word and the gift that Jesus pronounced, and he became immediately well and whole. He could see. So what does he do? He does the very opposite of what the rich young ruler did last week. He follows Jesus. He glorifies Jesus. He worships Jesus. He praises Jesus. He personally appropriates the means by which God moves and acts and that is divine supernatural grace that runs right to a heart that has deep and empty and, 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 and hungry need. What an example he is. What a contrast he is. And I hope and pray that you, and I hope and pray that I, Know what it means to go from darkness to light, from guilt to forgiveness, from death to life, from bondage to freedom, all the transitions that God works and moves in our lives. 
The whole point of this is that Jesus will provide the means. The question is, what have you done with Christ and his kingdom? Have you received it like a child, like blind Bartimaeus, on the Jericho Road, crying out to God for mercy? It is the only means by which we can be saved. But God himself is more than sufficient and more than gracious to meet this need with the means and the resources that he has. So I was touched personally. Let me find it by the testimony of a local father. He does not attend this church, but many of you would know him if I called his name. He put it out there publicly for Facebook, which I think is fair game for everybody, that once you do that, it becomes fair game for everybody, but I'm not going to state his name anyway. But man, I was moved by this. So a dad was sitting in a church locally just flipping through his Bible. And as he's flipping through his Bible, he looks, and his little girl has drawn some pictures and put some words in the pages of his Bible. So I'm going to read his testimony. He says, flipping through my Bible at church this morning, I found these little notes my daughter made. Not sure when she made them. I don't think I've ever seen them before. But either way, God really wanted me to see them this morning. Tell you what, I could almost, he says, I almost couldn't stay seated. He shows us so much when he wants us to see it. Sometimes we stand in our own way. Then he says, thank you, Lord, for your many blessings. Well, now let's get to the point. What did the note say? I trust God. Do you, Daddy? And she said, our family trusts God. God is in my heart. Is God in your heart, Daddy? I think this father felt the personal touch to examine his own life and see, yeah, all this is great, and we can agree with all this, and we can amen all this, but have I personally appropriated this in my own life? So on the Jericho Road, did any of you know that old gospel song? I couldn't help but sing it to myself this week in my studies. Now, I am a walking jukebox in a lot of ways, as I've already proven with the country music reference. But the song goes like this in its main portion. On the Jericho Road, there's room for just two. No more, no less, just Jesus and you. Each burden he'll bear, each sorrow he'll share. There's never a care for Jesus is there. Greater is he who's in you than he is in the world. Hey, this is where we're going. How are we going to get there? Supernatural mercy and grace from our Heavenly Father the whole way through. Now let me close with this. As I realize... My time is coming to a close. So, that's the mission. The means is demonstrated in the life of the blind beggar on the Jericho Road. But I would like to close by asking a more important question, which is, which is why? What's the motive behind all of this? 
See, if we stop and ask, why are there blind people anyway? Why are there beggars? Why are there homeless people? Why are there people in darkness? Why are there people in poverty? Why are there people being hostile to those in need and pushing them away from Jesus? What's wrong with this world? Why are we here? You see, if you ask the motive question in a lot of circumstances, you get really to some deeper issues. Why is Jesus going to Jerusalem? Why is he going to be killed? Why is he going to be raised from the dead? And let me just sum it up. One word, or actually two. Redeeming love. Redeeming love. Why is it when this blind beggar cries out for mercy, why is God in Christ so free and willing to give the mercy that he needs? Because the Son of God became Son of Man so that sons of men could become children of God. Here's the motive. It's the Father's redeeming love. You find it in this book from beginning to end. Why did God create the world? Why did the world become broken and sinful and fallen? Why did God come into the world? Why did the light of the world come into darkness? It is all for redemption and it is all for love. And once you understand the mission and then you understand the means, don't forget the motive because love makes all the difference in the world. Love is the great motive. We are called to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are called to love one another the way God has first loved us. We have a mandate from the motive. But we don't get it. And we don't keep it. So sometimes dads like me need an example. And I've got a good one in Bennett. And he told me not to say this or use this, but I'm using it anyway. <laughs> because I have never seen love for a dog like Bennett loves Ringo. You know, we got a new dog around Christmas, and I said, oh, what are we doing, you know? She sends me this text of this needy, homeless, looking for a home dog, and he's so cute, and it's the last thing I need is something else to feed. But I've always heard that God will just keep giving you more love for whatever he puts in your life. Nobody loves Ringo like Bennett loves Ringo. And I can give you some pretty real examples of how he demonstrates his love for him. A couple of times Ringo has escaped. And you want to see a little boy go after his dog. And then you want to see a dad go after his son. <laughs> because when dog and son are headed to the road, here's dad jumping terraces in the gator. But I will say this. As a dad, when you see your son loving something so much, it was funny how it makes you love it. And I love my sons. And now I love that dog, Ringo. <laughs> and I can't let anything happen to Ringo because I know how much my son loves that dog. He's willing to sacrifice himself and put himself in harm's way 
and me right behind to save and rescue that dog. You think about the love within the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Bible clearly says the Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hands. The Bible says the Son loves the Father. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. That's the motive from which he did the mission. As sacrificial and as costly as it was, you could ask, what was the son's motive? What was the father's motive? And that's why Jesus said earlier, you can rest assured that my heavenly father is going to come very quickly to the aid of the elect. When they cry out to him, why will the father come quickly to rescue them and to act on their behalf and, and to bless them and to work and move in their lives through all circumstances because the Father loves the Son in an infinite and perfect way. And if He sees us in Christ, then we get the love that God the Father has for His Son. We are the beneficiaries of that love. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. Jesus loves you. And if Jesus has given up himself out of love for you, you've got a watching father who loves his son, and he is going to intervene, and he is going to act. Probably the simplest definition of a Christian, and I will, I will quit with this. A Christian is someone who has God as their father. A Christian is someone who knows God as their father. And the way we know that is through what God has done for us through his son. Let's pray. Father, thank you for showing us in Luke's gospel all that we need for life and godliness. It seems like every week there's so much to share. Uh, we see the mission of Christ. We, we see how that happens. It's through supernatural, miraculous grace all along the way for blind, poor sinners like, like us. We pray that we would acknowledge that. We pray that we would confess that. And then we pray that we would dig deep enough to know the motive and the heart. And that is transforming, Lord. It transforms us to want to serve you, to want to live lives of holiness, to, to live lives of love and service. Everything flows from that great motive that you have in you. To glorify yourself through redeeming love. Redeeming love, Lord. Let that be our theme until we die. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. We chose this. Imagining what it must be like to cry out to Jesus and pray, Lord, don't pass me by. He stopped and he healed. Let's sing this as you come.
Thanks be to God for our time together this morning. Hey, one thing I do want our church family to be praying about that I have not mentioned so far in the service is the family of Jan Green. I don't know if Miss Judy Leopard's here or not, but Judy Leopard's sister died suddenly this week. And uh, a lot of you knew Jan Green. Her husband is David. Let's pray for David and their family. The visitation is today at 2 o'clock here in the church. And then at 3 o'clock is her service. So let's lift up the family of, uh, of Jan Green, you know, today. Also, Colleen, happy birthday. I know we said it at breakfast, but you're worth saying it again. I'm not going to tell them how old you are, but we're glad you're 50. <laughs> Bryce, and you close. Let's sing sanctuary together. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary. fantastic week.